You're listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 128. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Brian Levinson, mental performance coach, podcast host, and author, to discuss his journey as a mental performance coach and what motivated him to dedicate his life to serving high performers. Brian has an incredible perspective on what it takes to be mentally tough and how to coach the unique dynamics of a sports athlete versus a corporate athlete. Tune into this great conversation where two peers share their stories of service. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely, anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. If you're interested in a full-body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals, the Mass Suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The Mass Suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sports specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile and it's great for plyometric and high intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the Mass Suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products, and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm hoping that during our time together, my kids won't come in this uh, office that I've got at home right now. So we'll just pray for that. And, and hopefully we get through this without any distractions. Hey, n- not a problem. It, it's happened a few times in the past, whether if it's been a kid or it's a dog barking or, or something, but you and I are good with dealing with distractions, right? Pretty good. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely challenged me. <laughs> you know, we, we always talk about focus being directed attention. At least when I talk about focus, where are you directing your attention? And I, like I'm looking out at some trees right now. It's nice. The, you know, the breeze is outside. There's an external focus, but once those kids come walking through that door, all hell breaks loose. I got nothing. <laughs> uh, like I do the best I can with what I got, but, uh, home life is home. Life's a tricky, tricky deal, especially with what we're all dealing with right now. Definitely. Definitely. Well, let, let's get into it, man. Like I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I always get excited uh, to do my podcast, but when I get to bring a peer on as someone is, that does the same work as I do, and and following your career and the things that you've done and the the people you affected, the teams you worked with, it's just been amazing. Your podcast, it's amazing. Everything that you're doing is just awesome, and seeing uh, anybody in service is is a beautiful thing. But you know, I know what it's like to be in service in this role, and and I can only imagine what you're doing and how you feel and who you've affected. It's just a, it's, it's a beautiful place to be in. And to have you on my show today to talk about just your journey uh, as a mental performance coach, things you go through, what motivates you, what's challenging. I really want my listeners to understand kind of what your journey's been like um, as you've gotten through or moved through this profession. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting as you're you're talking about being in service. I had a conversation recently about servant leadership, and the person was confronting me on that term and said, you know, is anyone ever really just fully in service to others? Like, there's always something that you also want as well. That was an interesting concept, and I'm thinking a lot about that. And then today, I had a executive client. He's a CEO of a company, and he said, you know, I really appreciate how selfless you are, and while I certainly pride myself on that, I, I do also care about winning or competing or getting to where I want to go. And so it's just something I'm, I've been thinking about a lot lately. And as I think about my journey, I think about my parents and uh, how in service they were to me and my two brothers. I'm a middle child. Uh, we're all two and a half years apart. So we grew up beating the heck out of each other and uh, playing every sport you can imagine outside in the basement. And, um, my dad would usually be our fourth when we were playing two on two basketball or soccer or hockey or football or whatever it was. So a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of memories playing with my brothers. Um, but my parents were really in service to us as kids. And so, well, I explained my journey and I'm, I'm happy and proud to talk about it. I'm unique, uh, you know, privileged, uh, would be a word that gets thrown around a lot, uh, these days for me. Uh, I had a very privileged upbringing. Uh, you know, I had a sociology teacher once ask when I was a senior in high school, how many of the kids in the classroom were lower class? How many of the kids in the classroom were middle class? And how many of the kids in the classroom were upper class? An amazing little social experiment because nobody raised their hand for lower class and no one raised their hand for upper class and everybody raised their hand for middle class. Mm. And the truth was I was not middle class. I, I grew up in a upper class household. Um, but we were taught not to talk about money or talk about what class you are. And I think a lot of people I grew up with, um, even though they grew up in a really, really nice area outside Washington, DC, an area called Potomac, Maryland, you know, it's an upper class area if there's a real housewife. So that, that I think classifies it. Um, but we, we were brought up with values like helping others. We were brought up with values of humility. Uh, when, and I say we, I'm really talking about me and my brothers. And my parents just had this massive impact on on how I see the world. And so if we're going to talk about my journey, I have to start with my upbringing because I was just really blessed with parents that loved each other and loved us. And a lot of people don't have that. So um, I'll start there. And then like to to summarize, you know, was an okay student in high school, very mediocre at it, kind of everything, didn't stick out at anything, went to college, was kind of okay, not really anything clear as far as where I'd end up in this world or what journey I would take. And then I graduated from Syracuse University and was very lost as far as career goes. Um, I uh, was very good at being in the present in college and didn't think too much about my future. And uh, so when I graduated Syracuse, I, I actually wanted to do Teach for America and I got rejected. I didn't get into that program. And so I went and worked in sales, which I know you're familiar with and oh, yeah. was was decent at sales, um, but hit a crossroads in my career where I was going to start making some money in sales and do software sales. And I'm um, going through these interview processes and I'm just I'm just BSing my way through. Uh, at that same time, I'd been introduced to a woman named Julie Elian who who did sports psychology for a living and was really interested in it, but didn't want to go back to school. So uh, once I got to this point of 
you know, do I want to go into sales or do I want to explore sports psychology? I said, you know what, combining two things I'm passionate about, which are helping others and, and sports sounds like a really good career path. And I'm really grateful that I, that I went down that path and went to the same school that you did to, to study sports psychology. Awesome, man. You know, and, and I, I echo your, um, your upbringing with your family. Uh, you know, my, I, I was fortunate that my, I was, I was raised in a very touchy feely family. My, my mom and dad always had their hands on me. Like whenever they're, they wanted to talk to me, um, hold me, uh, comfort me, like, especially my dad, like he, his hands were always on me. Um, and it was just, it's great. And that's why I'm very kinesthetic. I, that's kind of my language of love, not to get super vulnerable on my own show here, but it's, I need touch. And it's because I got that. And a lot of people don't get that growing up. Um, and that did wonders for me as far as, uh, just feeling safe and allowing myself to, to have a good childhood. Um, based on the way my parents raised me. So that's, that's cool. And I appreciate you sharing your, your, uh, your upbringing, your journey. Now, you and I talk about mental toughness all the time, you know, within our jobs. And I always ask this to everyone on my show. And because that you teach people how to be mentally tough, uh, I'd love to hear what, what, what your thoughts are on being mentally tough. So when you think about mental toughness, what does that mean to you? I think it's about recovery. I think it is about recovery, especially under pressure. Um, so the ability to respond uh, instead of react, the ability to, there are tools underneath that, that response to that recovery, but recovery, but simply put, I think the most mentally tough athletes know how to respond and they do it quickly. They do it within, you know, the way we, we snap our fingers and you see mental toughness with actors. If you go to a Broadway play, you'll see them just have mental toughness and respond. You'll see it with musicians. You see it with uh, surgeons and certainly with athletes, the ability to respond and respond quickly. Um, that, that to me is, is where mental toughness lives. Yeah, man, I think you hit on the head with, you know, actors and, uh, you know, musicians, uh, doctors, anybody that performs a role, right? We, we all have to have a level of mental toughness. Now, when you think of the most mentally tough athlete in your life, who's the first one that comes to mind? Who do you think is the most mentally tough athlete that you know? That's so easy. I just wrote about this. Uh, who was I talking to? I, I, I forget. I think I sent an email to somebody and I said, this person is the most mentally tough athlete I've been around. I think I was recommending him as a speaker. Anyway, his name's Kyle Maynard, and some of you may know of Kyle. Kyle was born a quadruple amputee and no no arms and legs and uh, became an all-state wrestler and wrote a book called uh, No Excuses, I think it's called. And Kyle and I met on a trip to Israel, and Kyle is mentally tough, but... I. I now I'm thinking about my definition of mental toughness because he's the first person that jumps out. He, you look at him and you see him physically and you, that's where your focus goes. That's where you direct your attention to. But the moment Kyle opens his mouth, you, you can't, his brain is so tough. Mm. And so Kyle and I climbed a mountain in Israel. It's called Masada. And it's not a hard climb other than the heat of Israel and it's in the middle of the desert. Uh, it's about a 45 minute walk, but Kyle bear crawled up that mountain and, and his bear crawling up, you know, 
the story is a story that would take the rest of the podcast. So I don't want to cannibalize all of our time <laughs> together, but Kyle wrapped towels around his elbows and, and then just dragged himself up this, this mountain. And he's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. He's climbed Mount Aconcagua. He's climbed some of the highest peaks in the world. And Kyle is mentally tough because he, he might feel pain. He's done an MMA a fight. He's was, I think he's in the wrestling hall of fame. So he's, he's had success, but for me, he's tough because he just responds and he doesn't, he, he doesn't hesitate to respond and he just keeps going. And he, he also has this mind that is just so articulate and thoughtful and philosophical and deep. And you mentioned vulnerability earlier. Uh, I hope you get vulnerable because of the work that Brene Brown's done on courage and vulnerability. I mean, Kyle's the most one, probably the most courageous person I've ever met, and he's inspired me deeply. And I'm fortunate to call him a friend, and he's someone who every time I'm around him, I feel like I grow. Um, and that's who I think of when I think of mental toughness. It's it's not even it's not even close. Wow, that's a great story, you know. And, and I love that you bring up uh, vulnerability and Brene Brown because it's. It's it's the people that have the courage that actually can step into the arena and someone like him that does that's not or you think he's less fortunate, but is he? I mean, because he's 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 got the will. He's got the heart. He's willing to, to wrestle, climb up mountains um, and he's in the arena, you know, um, and, and I I just love it when when people have to deal with some kind of physical adversity or not, but uh, or mental but they just, they, they show up in the moment. It, to me, I love it. It's like a, it's one of those things when I get to witness somebody showing up and being vulnerable, it's just a beautiful thing. Well, you mentioned the moment and I think Kyle has a presence about him. So we could look at him and say, oh, he's inspiring because he does all this stuff. But just as important is his ability to just have a conversation with you on a bus and the way he listens and the way he learns and then the way he remembers. So He'll bring up something. He's like, Brian, I remember you told me this a year ago. And I'll be like, how do you remember that? Like, I don't, he, because he gives people his full attention and he's so present when you're with him. And so, you know, you mentioned the man in the arena and, you know, Kyle once said to me, he's like, he saw the show Hamilton and in the show Hamilton, they talk about being in the room where it happens. And there's a whole song about being in the room where it happens. And I'll never forget. Kyle said, I, I want to be in the room where it happens. Like I, I just want to be there. And I, uh, recently I shifted my, my focus in my life away from trying to be happy to just feel alive. And like the more that I feel alive, the more fulfilled my life is. And when I'm around Kyle, I just feel really alive. And so I don't know if that's still linked to mental toughness. I'd be curious what a lot of your guests say mm. they think mental toughness is. Um, for me, I think Mental toughness is when you're in the arena, your ability to respond, whereas mindset is how we set our mind. And so I make a distinction between mindset and mental toughness. I think mindset is all the work that we do to prepare our mind, but we can do all that work to prepare and then something hits us in the face and then we have to recover and respond. So I like to make a distinction between mindset and mental toughness. So these are just distinctions that people make and I don't claim to have all the right answers or, or know everything, but that's how I think about it. Right. Well, it's, and I love it how you br bring that up because uh, to be honest with you, I don't know, a hundred and I think it's 130 some episodes um, that I've had um, on the show and every single, that's the cool thing about the, the word mental toughness. Like, you know what it means and I know what it means, but through our own paradigm, we have our own internal representation of it. Like there, there, there's been one or two 
throughout my whole show that they've been somewhat similar. Pretty much every single person that tells me what mental toughness means to them, it's been different. So it's, that's why I love like like really digging into a word or digging into a meaning because we all have a different, you know, we have a different representation of it. Now, for me, it's funny how you say like, you know, mind, the difference between a mindset and mental toughness because to me, mindset or having a mindset and developing a mindset to me starts with intention. I always say intention equals mindset. Like if you want to have a mindset, calm, aggressive, whatever that mindset is, what's your intention behind it? What do you, what, 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 what intention are you setting before that drill, before going into work, whatever it is? So, you know, and again, I can elaborate on that, but I think it's a great distinction that there is a difference between mental toughness and mindset. I know they kind of inter, interlock, they intermingle, but I think you can make there uh, two different distinctions between the two. Yeah, the way I think about it is I can intentionally set my mind to be a certain way. Uh, let's just use a football player. Let's say you're playing quarterback and you set your mind and you're you're really in a good headspace and then your starting linebacker gets paralyzed in the middle of a game. Right. You know, and go goes gets hurt. And by the way, I had someone on my podcast who that happened to. It's like you, I don't care how much you set your mind, you, you're going to need something different to <laughs> respond yeah. to that. Yeah. And so I like, I think too often people do all the work and then they expect for that to just work for them. And oftentimes they need to adapt and adjust and pivot. And that requires mental toughness in my opinion. So I think too often we were talking about uh, superstition before we fired up the yeah. record button and I think that's where people go awry is like they're so superstitious that they can't adapt. So where the line is between routine and superstition is fascinating to me. And then that ability to respond, recover, adapt. I think agility is one of the most um, underrated terms that an elite performer can have is are they agile? And I think mentally tough athletes are very agile. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. 100%. Now, when you think of your job, like, and I love this question because I, I know, I know what the best part of my job is and I love sharing it, but from your perspective, what's the best part of being a mental performance coach and what's the most challenging part of your job? Best part is helping others. I'm mission minded in that way. I, I, I realized at a young age, I didn't know much at a young age, but I, I think I knew that I loved helping other people. And I, if you look back at my journey, I think you'll see there's a passion for helping others that I realized um, I didn't know how to turn that into a career until I found mental performance coaching and executive coaching, but helping others is is the piece that I love about my job. Uh, and then the second part of the question is, what do I not like or what's most difficult? Yeah, what's the challenge? What's, what's, what's the most challenging part of it? So I'll go into the the mental performance coaching athletes piece, which is the transactional nature of sports. And the idea that there's a winner and a loser. And so I struggled early in my career with handling that and, and thinking about that. Like I can do great work and my client can not get the result they were hoping for. And I, I, I think a challenge for any coach, and this can be a sport coach, a strength and conditioning coach, what, whatever you, you are doing if you're coaching, you are trying to help someone get from where they are to where they want to go but you don't get to dribble the ball. You don't get to throw the ball. You don't get to hit the ball. You don't get to swim in the race. You don't get to run. At the end of the day, their success is their success. And that doesn't devalue coaching. Coaching is really valuable. And 
I think it's a hard element is that you don't control the outcome as a coach. And I, I really believe that whether you're Bill Belichick or uh, Bochi with the San Francisco Giants or Grant Parr, <laughs> I, like I, I don't think you get to decide the outcome. Right. And so that's a challenge because you want to feel valued and fulfilled. And so I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, a client, where we talked about feeling fulfillment in our process, but not letting the outcome drive our fulfillment as coaches, which is a lot of the wording we use with our clients. But being able to step into this idea of like, hey, I did good work. And just because we didn't get the result we wanted doesn't mean we didn't do great work. We're going to stay with it and keep going. But that transactional nature of sports is what makes sports terrific and makes it uh, electric and exciting and energizing. But it's also what can um, really hurt you if you are so tied to the outcome. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, you know, when you're dealing with, with coaches and parents, you know, that's a lot of times like, and also the athlete as well, but you know, what, you know, when are we going to see the result? When, when, you know, what can we get out of, you know, working with you, like to answer that question, you know, and it's like, man, it's, you know, you're focusing on outcomes. Like I'm, I'm focusing on process. The process will drive the result. Now I'm with you, man. Like, you you do great work. They're bought in. They're bringing stuff to you to work on. They're journaling. They're they're reflecting. But it's just not. Uh, it's you know they're not playing better, or they're maybe they're not starting, or whatever it is. For me, it's like, are you playing present? Do you feel more present? Do you feel like that you're where your feet are, and you can actually access these tools? Yes. Okay. That to me is a win. I mean, that's kind of my main goal. Now, if if you can throw more touchdowns and get more base hits which that stuff is still out of your control. Okay, cool. Okay, that just highlights the work, but still what really to me is like, can you play present? Do you feel like that you're playing more present and you're more controlled with your thoughts and your emotions? You know, Grant, some of my favorite clients of all time, quote unquote, failed at their job uh, as an athlete, but I hear from them years later and they're thriving in some other aspect of their life. And yeah. so for me, that that's big. And then the other piece that is just really sitting with me is I had a conversation with somebody who's also in our field recently and they were quantifying all of their work and they were showing how their work led to this increase at this and this and that and that. And I was looking at them. I'm like, man, I don't know. I've worked with people that have definitely not increased their free throw percentage. And that's just like right. the reality. I said, I'm actually more interested these days as the more that I do that work, the more I become intrigued by working with coaches rather than athletes. And I've started to coach coaches and I love coaching coaches because with a coach, we're building something bigger than one thing. We're building a culture. We're building a process. Uh, ideally, we're going to build something sustainable right. that there are going to be players that come and go, but we're going to build something that, that's bigger than just one person. That gets me super excited. You can probably <laughs> hear my voice right now. Like, yep. <laughs> I get super jazzed. So the more I do this work, the less I actually get impacted by the out outcome. And I, it doesn't mean I'm not competitive. Hell, I'm competitive. Right. Like, I, totally. I care deeply about winning. But I just know I've been on championship teams and been part of them and I've been part of teams that really struggle. It's them. And like when when I when we win, like I'm looking outward. I'm not really looking inward. And um I I just know like I'm only as great as my clients and that's why I love working with great clients. But I'm I'm it's part of the reason why executive coaching has come into my life in a really opportune time because 
at one point I was working with like 30 to 40 athletes and, uh, it was great and loved it. Um, but for me, the executive coaches challenge, uh, sorry, the executives that I coach challenged me. They had me think differently and we're all about trying to create a sustainable business that can thrive and put people in positions to be their best self. And that is really what gets me excited. That's awesome, man. Now, speaking of, of executive coaching, do you see, or Two, two questions. Is your approach different from working with athletes versus, I call them corporate athletes, executives? Um, and do you see uh, a similarity or correlation between the two? There's some similarities and some differences. So being that you have a sales background, I think I'd be curious to get your perspective as well. But I think a salesperson's job is to go out and compete and get the numbers and get to where they want to go. So I think in that role, uh, it's similar in some ways to the mental performance side. However, a sales manager is very different and they have to work on the business rather than in the business. They have to find ways to coach people and get them to where they want to go. A CEO has to be more strategic and needs to think about the vision and where they want to go and what's the mission of the company. There are similarities. Um, I find when I work with uh, managers that they are trying to figure out how they can be best for themselves, but also they have to be thinking about how they can help others. Whereas an athlete has to think about execution. Um, now that's one of the reasons why the sport coach excites me because I think when I work with sport coaches, it's more similar to the executives that I coach. When I work with salespeople, it's more similar to the athlete. So I would say those are similarities and, and things that are different. I also think working with high school kids is very different than working with adults. And so <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like a high school kid, if I ask them, what do you want to work on today? They'll look at me like I've got 10 heads. Whereas if I ask an adult who's in their thirties or forties or fifties, what do you want to work on today? They, they often can articulate that. And, and, and so with adults, they're really going to drive the process more with kids. I'm, I'm doing more training. I'm doing more skills. I'm teaching. And there are some days where I love the skills and other days where I love to just coach and ask great questions. I think as I get older and I'm not that old, so this isn't like I've been uh, walking to school with, uh, you know, when it's snowing type of type of conversation, right. walking 10 miles type of conversation. But as I get older and older, I, I appreciate more and more learning from my clients and asking them questions that I don't know the answer to and that they know the answer to more simply than I do. So I, I think in the corporate world, there's more space to have those questions. Whereas in the sports arena, the prime of an athlete is 22 to 32, uh, somewhere in that range. Whereas the prime for an executive tends to be more 32 to 52. Yeah. So you're just dealing with somebody who's at a different place in their life. Um, and so I, I love those deep conversations that I can have with an adult. I've worked with some brilliant 16 year olds that teach me all kinds of stuff and they're wise beyond their years. And I've worked with 56 year olds that are not. So I'm not saying age is, right. is the only thing, right. but I, I get super jazzed at the ability to impact a culture and have to be behind the scenes and help somebody do that. Um, I still work with a ton of athletes and love that work, but it, it it's different. Yeah, it, it, it... There's, there's a lot of similarities. I agree. Um, it is different. I mean, in high school, I feel like there's more of a buy-in process. You're, you're getting them, not, not all young athletes. There's, there's some athletes that are bought into the process from the get-go, but it's more of an introductory, uh, and you're doing a lot of, you know, you know, training skills and strategies and all that. Um, but that's the thing that makes me sing in this work is when someone is bought in it. I mean, it is the 
best feeling. It's like when you hit the the best part of the bat when you hit a baseball or when you throw a touchdown or when you drain a three and everything just comes off your hands perfect. It's that feeling that I get when I when I have a client that's bought in. And and then generally speaking, I feel more so when I'm working with my executives, like they're bought in. You know, they're 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 there. They want the work. Um so I, I love that. I love that feeling. Um, real quick, though, uh, man, I could talk to you for hours, right? <laughs> seriously. And there's so much more I, I'm going uh, to talk about, and I'm going to have you back on my show. Um, but before we go here, uh, share, with, share with my listeners how they can connect with you on social media, um, how they can listen to your podcast, and you're having some, some exciting news uh, coming out here you know, soon with your book. So share your book as well. Yeah. Before I do that, one other thought is collegiate athletes have been so fun to work with over the years. And they're in this sweet spot of they're out of the house and they're not thinking exactly like their parents, um, but they don't know everything yet. And so I found working with college athletes, I'm fortunate to work with George Washington University and American University Athletics and have worked with a few other college sports teams. But I love working with intelligent young people. And whenever someone's complaining about our future, I'm just like, you know what, come spend a day with me and you'll see some pretty incredible young people that are going to change the world. So that, that is a sweet spot that I really enjoy playing in is college athletes. So, um, I just want to make sure that that's out there. Totally. Uh, as far as myself, uh, I appreciate you having me on and the kind words. I'm a big Twitter guy. I love Twitter. I've always really enjoyed Twitter as a platform. I'm at Brian Levinson there. Uh, Instagram's less of my, my spot. Uh, intentional underscore performers is the handle there. And I have a podcast, which is called Intentional Performers. So I'm glad that you brought up intention earlier. And you can listen to all those conversations at intentionalperformers.com. And then the last thing I'll say is what you mentioned. I've got a book coming out in October called Shift Your Mind, Nine Mental Shifts to Thrive in Preparation and Performance. So uh, maybe when when we have another chat, I can go into more detail about what that's about. But I'm super excited. It's been a long journey. I've been working on it for, I don't even know, three, four years. And uh, it's it's been it's been tough. It's been, it's been required a lot of mental toughness. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> man. Uh, well, good luck with that, man. Good luck with everything you're doing. I think the things you're doing, man, are, are awesome and you're heading in the right direction. And, uh, and I wish everything, uh, everything good for you, man. And, uh, and, and thanks for sharing your, your energy and your journey and all that stuff, man. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to build our relationship together as peers. So again, thanks for being on the show. For sure, Grant. Thanks for having me. All right, brother.